Hi, folks. Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run of the mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And oh, by the way, they're doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters, support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Everybody, Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. Hope you're doing well. KJ, good to see you. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We've got uh, season starting. We got uh, football and uh, tour of duty. We got all kinds of legal stuff going on. I need to go back to law school so I can figure out what's going to actually happen uh, as it relates to college football going forward, I guess. Well, I don't know the last part. What's going to actually happen is there'll be a settlement at some point. I can't imagine it going any other way other than that, Keith. But uh, wouldn't then- disagree, Tommy. Wouldn't disagree. I mean, that, that's where it's heading. It's just a matter of timing and expense and how much more mudslinging is going to be involved and all that type stuff. But uh, interesting times, to say the least. Interesting times, to say the least. That said, I'm still excited uh, about what's going on. I, I do. Uh, resolution's always good. I'd like to know where Florida State's going to land, and I'd like to get to the other side of this mountain, so to speak. But uh, someday we'll look back, and, and, and uh, whoever the, the sports writer of the day is will write a book or record a podcast or a video or something about the, the change in college football. And we'll see this, this chapter, which, I mean, it feels like a book on its own FSU and the ACC. It may just be a small little blip by the time it gets done. You know, you and I had conversations as much as a year ago, 18 months ago. All right, everything's done. Nothing else can change. All the conferences are settled. And then it blew up again. And then we said to ourselves probably three years ago, there's no way the money can get any bigger. We've maxed out. Uh, we don't have to worry about payouts because things are going to start contracting. And uh, boy, weren't we brilliant. We were just absolutely brilliant, weren't we? Yeah, we we were totally wrong on this one. I I didn't, uh, I, I did so several, you going back longer than three years ago, Keith, I thought the ACC would be able to keep somewhat pace. I thought it would clearly be behind the Big Ten and the SEC. I didn't foresee that it was going to just turn into, uh, the haves and the have-nots to the degree that it's heading. I mean, I totally get why FSU is is doing what it's doing right now. It makes sense because they got to make think, dollars. You know? I don't think any of us could have expected the what, what's the word the chasm to be as as broad and as deep as it has now become. Yeah. All right. So Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider, will join us in the next segment, next two segments, and we'll do a potpourri of uh, seminal sports because, to your point, Keith. Uh, we are in that overlap season. We got basketball uh, getting into March and March Madness. Uh, the women trending in the right direction. The men, not so much uh, at this point. Although I, I'll say this. I mean, the Duke game was entertaining, although you just didn't feel like Florida State could get over the hump once they relinquished the lead, which 
they relinquished the lead about five minutes into the game. They had it at the first TV timeout, and then it was gone shortly thereafter. I, I think we all can agree that we will not, cannot, should not fault effort. I think this men's basketball team is putting forth the effort. Uh, they just don't have enough pieces. Uh, and, and, and unless they get hot at the right time in the right way, um, they're just going to continue to struggle. But uh, it is not like it was two or three years ago after the, the 2020 season when, you know, I, I just really, Tommy, that 2020 season, uh, 19-20 season, uh, when FSU was getting ready to open that ACC tournament against Clemson, you know, and COVID hit, I, I, I'm just wondering if that wasn't an opportunity that really, really has been sorely missed by Coach Hamilton and his staff. That group, that group had an opportunity to do something really, really special. Well, that's, that's right there with not being in the football playoff this past year, Keith. I mean, denied an opportunity when you're right there with a, with a damn good team, right? I mean, yeah, that's, that's not the fun chapters of the book we'll write as we look back. It, it certainly speaks to the, you know, you can't really, you can't really get upset over things you can't control because you can't control them. You just got to deal with them. How are you dealing with it, Keith? Are you all right at this point? I, I've got fever blisters, Tommy. Right. But related to FSU not getting into the playoff, how are you handling it? <laughs> I'm over that part. I'm over that okay. part. And, and I tell you, the reason for it is, like everything else, uh, if FSU had gotten in the playoffs and done well, you always got to build upon that. All right, so this is what happened. Very, very poor showing against Georgia in the Orange Bowl. Got to discount that, throw that away. Can you take that, that, that season and that ACC championship, and can you build upon it? That's what Coach Bowden did. That's what Coach Hamilton has done in years past. That's what 11 always did. That's what Sue did. That's what Lonnie's doing. That, that's what Coach Bond and, and all, all the others b- will tell you they build upon is last year's great, but last year's gone. What are you going to do with it this year? We'll address that question with our Osceola insider, Kurt Weiler, when he joins us next right here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Let's open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to our Osceola insider, Kurt Weiler, who joins us uh, pretty frequently at this point. Kurt, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, guys. I'm doing well. AJ, would you like I'm I'm gonna seniority's gonna rule in this one, Keith. Would you like to start with football, men's basketball, softball, baseball, lawsuits? I mean, just pick one. Um, I wanna start with the rumor mill that the college football playoff committee had entered into a extension with ESPN according to published reports, for a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, the chairperson of the CFP says, oh, wait a minute. No, we haven't done anything yet. So I'm going to suggest that falls in the lawsuit bucket because I think they haven't done anything yet because they want to know which part is going to be in which league and and then we can move forward. So, Kurt, since we started with this, this is the, the popular topic. 
If if I'm asking you to set the over under on where Florida State lands on uh, buying its way out or buying its grant of rights back, since the ACC indicated, I forget the term they used, but they basically said it's open for bidding, right? Where would you set that over under? Well, in terms of when it happens, no, in terms of dollar amount. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, ooh. It's a good question. I mean, what the total amount would be if they paid the whole thing, which wouldn't happen, it'd be almost five hundred million. I think in that neighborhood. I think the exit fee alone, they say at one twenty. What are you thinking? Maybe like is like two a good number there? I don't know. Is like two hundred million? Do you think? Uh, it's a good. I don't know. Kind of what? How do you value what thirteen years of of media rights? I don't know. Keith, what, what do you think? You got a line in mind? I mean. I think, guys, we're fixing to enter into unchartered territory. Yep. I don't think we're already there. Well, yep. what I mean is we're going to get more convoluted. Remember the, 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 the SEC and the Big Ten have formed, a, let's call it an advisory committee. As mentioned, published reports, not not rumor mill on the internet, published reports that a deal's been done for the extension, and then the CFP committee comes back and says, no, wait a minute, that's inaccurate. Hmm. A whole lot of conversations going on about is North Carolina going to rule that North Carolina has jurisdiction? Is Leon County going to rule that Leon has jurisdiction in the lawsuit? I mean, we're in we're in absolutely unchartered territory. And if you believe that anybody knows what's going on, then you need to buy a bridge in Arizona because this is beyond anything I've ever seen before. Uh, it is that. It is that. Well, Kurt, so the first, the, you interpreted my question differently. Uh, if you're going to pick a date, where would you set the over or under or the or whatever we'd call it? Ooh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it. it with how things are, who knows? I can't imagine. It seems like the ACC, I mean, with how they're already kind of changing what they're saying, where this is the first time they've acknowledged, like, yeah, you could buy your rights. And and I, it's, I, I, by saying that, it sounds like it would be less than kind of what the total listing is. It just feels like it can't make it to August 15th. It feels like they can't. we can't do another two years of this. It feels like this upcoming year has to be the last year. So uh, I, 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 it feels like, I mean, it's not based on anything I've heard, but it's with how quickly things have rocketed up. And with, I have to imagine the ACC doesn't want to go to Discovery, doesn't want this to actually go to a court case with, with Discovery like that. I mean, with how protective they are over the grant of rights. Um, I just, I, I have a hard time imagining, but, but who knows? I mean, that's the truth of the matter. I'm not going to claim to, have any inside knowledge is to win, but uh, it just feels like it's too toxic to go on that that long. I'm wondering, so guys. They, will... they they had the recent meeting, the ACC spring meetings. Yep. Winter. How how were Florida or winter? Sorry, thank you. How how were Florida State's folks treated? What were the conversations? What were the eye glances? What were the I'm not talking to you. What were the I'm not shaking your hands. I mean, this whole thing is is just beyond anything we've ever seen before. 
hasn't the ACC, I don't know, I, I actually haven't heard kind of, I, I doubt, I think we would have heard if Florida State wasn't involved. Hasn't the ACC argued that Florida State shouldn't be privy to those business type meetings because of kind of a conflict of interest right now? And that's in uh, one just, of their I, filings, yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, the three of us get along well, but if one of us got mad at the other, would we would we shake hands and say hello? You're you're saying it's like class, Keith, when there's that kid up front that raises his hand to answer every question, and if FSU's in the front raising their hand, I've got a comment. They're looking right past them. I I don't know. I don't know. I I have no idea either. I I have no idea. It's uh, definitely interesting times as as we sort this out. I think the analogy will move to basketball. To me, it occurred to me because. FSU has been filing its responses on one day and five days later, the ACC response and all this, it feels like a basketball game because when FSU responds, it's like the Knowles went on a 15 0 run, right? You read everything. Oh, this is a slam dunk for FSU. And then six days later, the ACC responds and it's like the ACC just went on a 12 0 run to tighten things up. And you're like, Oh, well, that might be a good point. So I don't know, but I don't have a legal frame of reference on any of that. I just, I'm reading the arguments, you know, who knows what holds water. I don't know. Well, let's get back to on the court, on the field, uh, on the diamond. Uh, Florida State played competitively, Kurt, against uh, Duke, but again, falls short. Of course, that's a top 10 program. Um, are we seeing progress? Do we like what we're seeing? You know, we're getting ready to position. Are we on the bubble or we're not in consideration? What do you think is going to happen on the men's side? They're not on the bubble. Like they're they have too many bad losses and now have a number of overall losses. I mean, the record's pretty close to five hundred, if I'm not mistaken. So I mean, I think they're I, to me at this point, it feels like their only path is winning the ACC tournament. And yeah, they they played every every good team, every like the top two teams. They've all played well. Virginia in there too. They got all three of those at home. I mean, that that probably does play a role, and you won't have that in your favor uh, in the ACC tournament. I, I'm not going to say this team can't do that. But uh, I, no, I mean they're they're not still improving from kind of that run they had in in when was that in January? I mean they were a a very good team in January and they are uh, not quite that that team anymore. They're just they're not consistent enough. They can do it in stretches. They can do it in games, game to game. They don't defend at a high enough level. They don't have enough guys who can take over a game offensively. I mean it feels like those kind of things loom large, especially against the North Carolinas, Dukes, Virginias. It reminds me of the teams from 10 or 12 years ago. I mean, I do like the yeah. way they fight. They're just ultimately not talented enough is what uh, yeah. seems to be the, the, the challenge with it. Um, hopefully, and we should point out, we're recording this uh, earlier in the week, and so we don't know the outcome of the Florida State-BC game as as we're talking in this. Um, I You know, I went to the Duke game, and I, I know this, maybe this sounds silly because Florida State has not defended the three well, but I don't quite recall seeing somebody shoot <laughs> the way the one Duke star shot last week. I mean, that was that was quite a clinic that he put on to go whatever it was, 25 points at the half and eight and nine from three for the game. Yeah, and I mean that's been a that's been a thing. Their their three point defense numbers are not good. They they I mean Virginia, that's what killed them or the Virginia. They made it's crazy. I mean, that Virginia game, I was there for that one. I wasn't there Saturday for the Duke game. They made like 71% of their twos against Virginia, which like you don't do against that defense. But because Virginia went nuts from three, had too many open threes, and Florida State was bad from three, which is not a strength of this team. I mean, that is where that game 
was lost in a game you otherwise could have won. And that's been a thing uh, uh, far, far too often this season for sure is they, they can be good defensively for stretches, but uh, just not consistently enough to win in the ACC regularly. Conversely, Kurt, the, the women, although they have not separated themselves, they continue to be middle of the pack, upper third as they get ready for the ACC tournament. For sure. No, they're uh, there. I mean, they, they're in, I mean, anytime you have a Tanaya Latson, that uh, that makes things a lot easier for everybody. But there have been a few others stepping up. I mean, just the other day, didn't Sarah Bajetti and uh, KK Timpson both hit a thousand career points? I mean, they've both uh, they've both carved out nice little careers for them here. I know KK is even on the younger side, has 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 some time left along with uh, along with Tanaya. But uh, yeah, I mean, they uh, my my thing with them has always been. I think the system they run is great. I wonder if long term they don't want to build more depth because it just feels like you if a deeper bench with how how much they want to run would be huge for them. But I mean they far more often than not, you're right, make it work. What was the stat I saw today? Is it I think nine straight years of ten ACC wins or more for the Florida State women? I mean it's it's the run has has continued. I mean maybe Brooke Wyckoff hasn't taken it to a huge other level from where things were throughout Sue Semrau's time, but that's not a bad thing because Sue, I mean, was consistently had very good teams. I'm looking at the numbers and I, I should have had them at my ready, but uh, Tania Latson, Kurt, you know, there's a lot of talk about obviously Caitlin Clark setting the all-time scoring record last week. I haven't done the math, but I know that Sue Galcantis is somewhere in the two thousands, right? Keith, you might know, I think you knew Sue and, uh, Tania's basically halfway there, isn't it? I mean, is there a chance that she could become the all-time leading scorer? Is she going to play two more years at FSU? If she plays, that will be the key. And it's like everything else in today's environment, whether it be basketball, football, and obviously baseball, we'll get to in just a second. You know, if you fulfill your career, if you stay for your career, she has an opportunity to be one of the all-time greats. There's no question. And women's basketball players don't really go pro early. It's not especially a thing in the world in the 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 women's sphere. I would say the the concern there rather that would be, I mean, do other programs come calling? I think they kind of did last year, and she chose to stay. But uh, that I mean, it becomes a tougher and tougher battle potentially to hold on to her as those offers may grow. That transfer portal continues to raise its ugly head, is what you're saying. Your words, so. Not this is very rough math. Uh, she had 659 points as a freshman and 551 right now. So with still some season left, you know, so she's going to be sitting at 1400 points or so after two years. And again, I don't have the all time record in front of me, but uh, she's going to have a, going to have a shot at it. All right. We'll play sure. one game here. Then we'll get to baseball because I thought there was a lot of good, good from baseball this weekend. Um, but I'm just gonna uh, I'm gonna test your guys' ACC acumen right now. This was announced a couple of weeks ago. We didn't talk about it on the show, but I, I think you guys are smart enough to to figure out the correct answer. So, in what state will the ACC men's basketball tournament be held in 2027? Kurt, this one's you. I'm gonna say North Carolina. I'm really going out on a limb with this one. That is that is correct, Keith. The ACC baseball championship in twenty twenty nine. In what state will that be held? Uh, I would think that would also be North Carolina. All right, very good. You guys are off to a good start, Kurt. The uh, I know you're a big gymnastics fan. Uh, the twenty twenty six ACC gymnastics championship. In what state will that be contested? 
Uh, North Carolina. All right. All right. Keith, I, I know in Leesburg, you probably spent some time uh, a member of the crew team at Wildwood High School, I should say, not in Leesburg. Uh, correction. I should know that by now. But you were on the rowing team. And where will the ACC host the rowing championships in the year 2030? Well, they wanted to do it at Lake Jackson, but they were afraid that the hole would open up and there'd be no water in it. So they're going to go with North Carolina. Yes, I think you get the point on this. Did you guys chuckle at this release when it came out like two weeks ago? We forgot to talk about it on this show. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like 35 championships were announced and they're all in North Carolina. Yeah, I think there's there's something to, like, I think it might be like a, they agreed by putting the headquarters there, like, by that they would have a certain number of championships there or something. But, yeah, they are firmly committing to the bit. I mean, I felt like when they had the press conference, they're like, are they going to diversify here? Because why do you need a press conference to announce what's kind of been the status quo? But, nope, we're just, uh, we're, 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 they are, they are, uh, they are committing to the bit. They are all in. So, anyway. If you'd like to see the schedule, folks, you can go to Charlotte, you can go to Raleigh, a lot of stuff in uh, Cary, nothing against Cary, they do a nice job hosting things, but uh, yeah, I didn't count it up, it's like 35 or 40 over the next uh, decade or so. Uh, the good news there, though, is that Florida State won't probably have to participate in most of those, I would think. Great, we'll talk FSU baseball, it's only a two-game sample size, but it was a nice two-game sample size, or two-game sample, we'll uh, get to that right after this on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Kurt, opening day. Uh, I know you predicted uh, you wrote the script that Florida State would win a game 11-zip uh, a week after everybody paid their last respects to uh, Mike Martin, AKA 11. That, that was pretty remarkable the way it finished up. Yeah. I was mad that it wasn't the the lead of my story at first. And truthfully, I'd already written the lead or I, I would have definitely. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I wrote the lead about something else, but I, I mean, link even took note of it. And I'm sure a lot of people watching did link talked about, I think it was like a, he's watching us from above type moment for sure. And it's, it's hard not to uh, feel that way about how weird baseball can be when stuff like that happens. I know the opponent is not an ACC opponent is not a top ranked opponent, but that's pretty, that was two pretty good pitching performances, regardless of who you're. And that was the one area, at least we've agreed the one area we wanted to see the best and most improvement from this baseball team. Yeah, for sure. I I would, I, I want to see it against definitely a better team. I mean, Butler hasn't won 20 games in I think like five or six years. It's, it's been a minute that is not a good team. But no, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway for me, regardless of the opposing team, when you see Cam Leiter bringing out 98 as the Friday guy and then Jamie Arnold bringing out 96 miles per hour from the left side as the Saturday guy, it's been a while since we saw Florida State have a a Friday guy throwing that fast, especially a Saturday guy throwing that fast. We didn't get to see Connor Whitaker speed, not, I guess, as much his game, but he does so much other stuff very well. And I think the biggest thing, yeah, a, a concern of mine was walks. And, I mean, the two starters threw 10 innings and walked two total guys. The bullpen Sunday kind of let it get away from them a little in that regard. I think they threw, like, eight walks over four innings. That's uh, definitely something that needs to be worked out because, I mean, that is unacceptable against a a better team for sure. And Link kind of said as much. But Link definitely seems satisfied with the weekend as a whole for sure, and as he should because, I mean, you can't help the opponent. All you can do is play who's on the schedule, and they did that really well. 
I'll remind our listeners we're taping before Florida State plays JU or uh, played JU on Tuesday night. So uh, we we don't know how Connor Hunter uh, Whitaker fared in that game. Uh, going back to lighter, Kurt. I know it's one start. I know it's Butler. I get everything you just said. Uh, is, is is that what he can be though? I mean, based on since he transferred in and what he's looked like, uh, you know, in the fall and in spring. I mean, is it that kind of stuff? And and uh, I mean, I don't know about thirteen Ks out of fifteen outs, but I mean. Basically, he's a he's a true number one. He looked good. Yes, I think he's the closest thing Florida State's had to a true Friday night guy. In terms of stuff, I think maybe even more than a Parker Messick, who was great, but like didn't have, I don't think he was throwing 98. You know, I mean, that's so, no, I think absolutely. I think he throws four pitches for strikes. I know, I mean, talking to FSU pitching coach Mike Posey for uh, the story I did on the FSU pitching lab before the start of the season, he talked about, I think like he thinks three of his pitches are among the best in the country. And he's got a fourth that, I mean, and when you win, not just in the college guys throw four pitches for strikes. When you can do that, I mean, that opens up a lot. He won't have 13 strikes a, a start, but I think he is going to strike out guys a lot as long as he can stay in games. I think that is going to be a big part of his game. I mean, he's after one weekend, the national leader in strikeouts. Kurt, way too small a sample size. But again, yes. another need for improvement was defense. And and you didn't see, I mean, you saw some things, but you saw some improvement. Your thoughts? I think, yeah. I mean, I I, 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 I they were helped, no doubt, Friday night by, I didn't realize this until after the fact, uh, Florida State didn't have to field a single ground ball in the Friday game. They were all strikeouts or flyouts. But uh, yeah, I think uh, Cam Smith had an error on Sunday. I think uh, J- uh, Jamie Arnold did on the mound. But uh, I think you liked. I think Diamond Ross is healthier, which will help you out in center field. I think early returns on what you got from the the in middle infield transfers, Drew Furrow and Alex Lodis, are are pretty strong. And uh, I think having a true first baseman. I mean, last year James Tibbs is a heck of a player. Had a grand slam Friday is not a first baseman. I had to play it last year because they didn't have one. They bring in Daniel Cantu, and I think that that helps immensely and be able to move James back to the outfield and have a guy at first who has played a lot of games of college baseball at first base. Florida State will be back at home uh, this weekend after playing on Tuesday night. Uh, got Western Carolina coming in, 5 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and uh, 1 o'clock. Looks like the game time's for that. All right, uh, Kurt, you know, last time you were on, I asked you about uh, we had talked to Coach Alameda, and, and I asked you if Florida State had tried to find a, a pitcher in the portal, and we had a little bit of a discussion. Because to me, and looking at the roster, that was one thing that uh, – I don't want to say it's a hole because Lonnie's a great coach, but it it certainly wasn't an area of strength compared to years past. And now you have this the sample size of Clearwater where Florida State has – candidly, they've probably had more success there than any team should given the amount of uh, – the quality of opponents. But this year was the opposite. So is this – it's obviously a teaching moment. Do you think it's it's correctable as the season wears on? Um, to what degree is kind of I think that I don't think it's like totally correctable in that like I, well it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm not someone who's going to doubt Lonnie as being someone as the pitching coach who can figure some stuff out. I mean, she has time and time again done that. But uh, yeah, I think the uh, the the transfer portal misses. They were in on a few. I think. I want to say maybe three of the people they really tried to get in the portal all ended up at Oklahoma. So I think there was a bit of an NIL game there, a bit of, I mean, some people who might want to go win a national title. I mean, Oklahoma has done that. Is it two or three times in a row? But uh, yeah, I think they, I mean, those, those, those losses loom large right now because this lineup with all they brought back from last year is going to be right there again. But uh, there is some stuff pitching wise to figure out with uh, ACC play 
not too far off. I think it's correctable in that, like, I mean, I think that we can see improvement. That's kind of been Lonnie's MO. But I am curious. I mean, how much has this team's ceiling changed just, just for this year, given the the state of the roster? I mean, maybe not seeing the step forward you th- wanted to see from McKenna Reed, Ashton Danley hitting some early struggles. And I mean, kind of having to use Emma Wilson with nothing against Emma Wilson, but I, I'm not sure Lonnie wanted to have to use her as much as she has so far this season. I think we do have to be careful about worrying about the one loss record early. Uh, Because one of the things that Coach Alameda has said is she wants to play teams that can beat them. She would much rather be 10 and 10 against quality opponents than be 18 and 2 against opponents that they were heavily favored over. Uh, I'm not suggesting they're going to be 10 and 10, but for the first time in a long time, that might be that might be the hurdle they got to get over. Well, and even in giving up what was it, 34 runs in the last two games down there, I think there is huge value in that. I remember years ago. Kat Sandercock, I think in the first year of that tournament, struggled some down in Clearwater. I think might have taken a loss or just got beat up in one game. And and I remember talking to Lonnie about, like, I want her to learn through that. And I think that is how she coaches. And I think she thinks it will help all of them later in the year, the struggles they went through and figuring out this didn't work. I need to do this better, things like that. But uh, it, it doesn't make uh, the the score results over the weekend any any less surprising. I mean, we're not used to what team putting up those number of runs against Florida state switching sports one more time, Kurt, uh, the quarterback for Florida state met the media last week. And uh, I don't know, have they trotted all of the newcomers through or do we still have more, but anyway, general impressions on DJ and uh, he seemed to say all the right things certainly and seems excited to be here. Yeah. We finished. What was that last, I think last Thursday or Friday with DJ. I think it might've been Friday either way. We've talked all 28. Now, we have eight, 28 new guys on campus, and we've talked to them all. Thanks to FSU for that. Uh, I was very impressed by DJ. I think he, I mean, you look at this roster, especially I would say look at the offense, look at the quarterback room, and there is definitely, I would say, some some leadership needed with all the guys they're losing. And I think he seems like a guy who isn't afraid to step into that, who naturally fits that. I think, I mean, a lot was made out of DJ pretty much locked in on Florida State, and he said as much last week when he talked to us. I mean, he uh, he said, like, from when I entered the portal, I kind of always wanted it to be Florida State. I like Coach Norvell's offense. I'd seen what they did. Kind of once Jonathan Smith at Oregon State moved on to Michigan State, it seemed like he, that's what he wanted to do. He was content to wait while Florida State waited out Cam Ward. And uh, I think Miami fans were happy to get Cam Ward. And I think my, Cam Ward's a talented guy. But I do think there's something, too. I mean, is it is it old school of me to say – you know, it's nice to have a guy who, like, this is where he really wanted to be. There was no other schools. This is the only place he visited. I mean, he was passionate about finishing at Florida State, and uh, we'll get the chance. And I, I was, uh, I definitely uh, enjoyed getting to talk to him for sure. You know, there is something to be said, particularly for those of us that have been around for a while. You're way, way, way too young to understand this, Kurt. But that whole heart part of being a football player. Uh, we just don't talk as much about that as we we maybe sometimes should. And certainly, you know, DJ's been, this is his third school, so you could make the argument his heart hasn't been committed. But his 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 body language, his language, uh, and what he said, uh, his demeanor, uh, the way Coach Norvell uh, went after him, and, and the relationship they appear to be developing, um, this is a place he wants to try to excel at. Well, and, and truthfully, yes, he's transferred twice, but I don't really think – did he instigate either of those decisions in terms of he got benched at Clemson, and I think last year proved he wasn't really the problem 
with that Clemson offense. He kind of was a scapegoat in the moment. And at Oregon State, his head coach left. So, like, he's it's, ne- it's not like a, he's unhappily transferred all these times, you know? I mean, but I I think uh, he didn't come up with our interview with him. I think it came up in a different interview he did talking about uh, it, him playing Clemson again. That'll obviously be an interesting date down here in Tallahassee. When's that? In early October, I think? I think that's right. You know, looking back, uh, he hurt his cause by playing so well in that one game at Notre Dame when he yep. filled in for Trevor Lawrence. He absolutely put the bar where it was unreachable. Uh, yeah. if, if he goes in, they could still win the game. But if he doesn't throw for 440 yards or whatever it was, uh, maybe maybe the expectations aren't quite so high. Keith, you, that that whole heart comment. I think we've talked about this a little bit. I, I know, and and I'm starting with you, KJ, as the old school guy. That uh, as you know, we're not in the guy stay for four years anymore era for any sport. Matter of fact, you get a team for Jimbo used to talk about, you know, the life of a team is one year. And that was always true. But most of the guys would come back. What what do you think about um, I'm trying to think of how to articulate it. But, you know, when guys were staying for four years and you're the third team corner and you know you're not going to see the field, how much how much effort is truly out there on a Wednesday in August compared to what you're selling right now, which is, guys, I need you to buy in for 10 months. For 10 months, put whatever it is from February till January 1 or whatever the calendar, leave everything out there. I mean, in some ways, it feels like it's a little bit easier if you get the guys to buy in to, to put a little bit more into it. Does that make sense, Keith, or am I? It, it, it does. And and the, the key to that for me is their ability to mesh as a unit. In other words, if you've got guys playing together for 10 months, that's going to be different than if you've got guys playing together for 33 months. And so their ability to buy into the system, to understand the system, for the coaches to make sure that they are being coached into the system, that's the, that's the key. So, so, you know, if you find guys that buy into the system and get it, the light comes on early, yeah, every year you've got a fresh group, every 10 months, whatever phrase you want. Um, that contrast with the age-old uh, thing of, you know, you need to be here for two years and then redshirt and then excel your last two years. That formula just doesn't exist anymore. I guess I'm just looking, what do you think, Kurt, about this kind of the psychological side of that, that you're not in here for four years trying to, you know, trying to peak when you're 21. I mean, you're here for the, for this year and let's see what we can get out of you. Well, I think, I mean, I think Florida State, I think the catch coaching staff was right to have a guy like DJ be a bridge. I think they have a few other bridge types. I think Malik Benson comes in on his last year. I think Roy De Williams is a last year guy. I know, I think Sione Lohea is a last year guy. There, there are a few one year transfers, a few two year transfers, and a few younger guys. I think mixing those is important because, I mean, yeah, there certainly is an urgency with those guys. I think time has proven. I mean, the hit rate for this coaching staff in terms of getting culture fits. It does seem to be something they're able to figure out pretty quickly in those portal guys is remarkably high. And I think, I think it's most important at quarterback. And I think DJ fits that mold for sure. I think it bears mentioning. I mean, KJ, you say that we're not seeing a ton of what of the guys waiting their turn anymore. There actually are a few guys on this roster. I mean, I think you look at a Jakai Douglas. I think you look at a Kentron Portier. I think there it, it does bear mention. There are a few guys who have waited their turn and seem ready to be that guy now. If Kurt, if they take advantage of their turn. Oh, for sure. That, that's, that's what it comes key. down to. That's the They've key. got to do that part, and there is plenty of competition. Like, I wouldn't be stunned if a few of those guys don't take huge roles because I like a lot of the talent in that in that receiver room. We're talking about them. But, uh, no, I, I mean, I think those last-year guys do come in with a different mentality. I think Jermaine Johnson's the prototypical example of that. And, I mean, 
if everybody could maximize it like that, you could be, have quite a team. And to be clear, I didn't mean just the last year guys, though. I mean, obviously, they are DJs here for 10 months. I didn't mean just DJ. To me, it's almost the whole way you prepare as a program over the course of the year is different now. Maybe it's not. Oh, maybe yeah. the coaches would say it's always been this way. It just feels like it's different. Even for a guy that's been here and waited his turn, it's still like this is the parts and pieces we have, and we need everything, Kurt Weiler, that you have right now, whether you're the starter or whether you're you know on the scout team. And, and psychologically, is it easier to buy in because the end is in sight? It's a little sooner. Like, this is not a five-year marathon. This is a 10-month sprint. Get out there, and what can we get out of you? And it's not its not different anywhere else. Maybe Florida State has done a better job embracing the portal in that mindset. That's just kind of what it feels like to me. I'm just impressed with Coach Norvell and his staff, at least to date, with their ability, right, wrong, or indifferent, however they did it, you know, wonderlick test or anything in between determining who was going to be willing to work because everybody they brought in, at least so far, I think we would all agree, put their nose down and, and got to the grindstone and they were willing to work to make themselves better. There wasn't, they, they have not brought in any, very many, if any prima donnas. Well, and I think that kind of speaks to the Norvell and co recruiting strategy of, I mean, mm -hmm. the thing you hear from recruits over and over again is, they are not the staff. There are plenty of staffs who tell you what you want to hear while you're getting recruited because they they think that they can get they got to get you here and then they'll figure out, oh, well, like I, I didn't mean I was promising a starting spot or whatever. I think they tell you, I mean, they, so many kids tell us, they say, they tell us like it is. We're going to work hard. That's what they need from us. That's what it's going to be every day. So basically, this is going to be hard. If you want easy, this is not the place for you. I mean, what is my, he always says, Florida State's for the real ones. Like, that's what he's talking about. And I think the, the real ones in this case means, I mean, yeah, those who are, are willing to work. And he seems to have a good idea of stuffing out those who might not fit that mold. Well said, Kurt. We'll let you get run. Appreciate it, sir. Always a pleasure, guys. He is our Osceola insider, Kurt Weiler. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles to finish things up. Tom and Keith with you. Thanks to Kurt Weiler for joining us. That really was... Uh around the Seminole Athletic Department in two segments of Front Row Knowles there. There's a, there's a lot going on. I'm excited about baseball. Now, it's it's pretty early. We'll see. And as we're listening, who knows? We don't know what Florida State did against JU on Tuesday night, right? So let's not get too excited. I thought we, we talked about the, the fact the final score was 11-zip, which was certainly fitting uh, given the recent passing of 11. But but I thought as much as that being the final tally, Keith, that when I left the park on Friday night, there was a zero in the column on the right for errors, which is always a win. And uh, and there was a zero for the opponent in terms of runs. And and for, you know, we heard how many times did you hear Mike Martin talk about pitching and defense during his tenure, pitching and defense. And that was what that game was the other night. There's no question. Now, uh, they did show some pop with their bats. Arguably, they are going against a team in Butler that, that, you know, is not, uh, you know, at least a national power of recent uh, notoriety. Um, but pitching and defense is going to be what gets you into the tournament and wins games for you. Occasionally, you might outscore an opponent, 
you may you may get into double digits. Both teams get into double digits, and you win a, a 15 to 12 game. But the biggest stat that came out to me, and we've talked about this, but the biggest stat is is 13 strikeouts and 15 putouts. It's been a long time since since we've seen a Florida State pitcher dominate the strikeouts that way. And and uh, Kurt mentioned, you know, getting that ball up, that fastball up in the 98, 96 mile an hour range with some movement, uh, having a pitcher that's got command of three, possibly four pitches. We haven't talked about that in a long time. And obviously, um, you know, we'll get an opportunity or, or our fans will have an opportunity to see as we're recording early, um, you know, what was done against JU in terms of that missed start. Um, but I'm excited about Coach Posey. I'm excited about the pitching lab. I'm excited about what they appear to be able to develop. And as you mentioned, um, you know, if you can play some games, it's like football, Tommy. You don't turn the ball over, you're going to win some ball games. You don't make errors on the baseball diamond, you can win some ball games. You don't give up free runs and free outs. Good things can happen. We got about a minute, Keith. I'm going to guess you didn't watch the NBA All-Star game. Uh, speaking of defense, that's a that's a game where they don't play defense. But congrats to Scotty Barnes, who uh, got added to the All-Star roster and had 16 points in 18 minutes. Six, he, he went 16, 8, and 3 on assists uh, in 18 minutes. Now, I know. I mean, every play was pretty much a statistical uh, win for whoever was on offense. But still, congrats to Scotty Barnes. Uh, wish he, he would be a senior at FSU right now, by the way, and they could probably use him. I'm just throwing that out. So what you're telling me is they combined for almost 400 points in a basketball game. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. And, and, and to borrow the phrase from our longtime, very, very close friend, one Mr. Emerson Eugene Deckerhoff, that's why I don't watch the 24-second game. <laughs> All right, we, are, uh, we don't even have 24 seconds left, Keith. I'll see you next week. Sounds good, Tommy. Appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. This is Front Row Knowles.